follows up on what we've just said from 14 up. Chapter 50, verses 1 to 3. Thus says the Lord, and here is the certificate of divorce by which I have sent your mother away. Or to whom of my creditors did I sell you? Behold, you were sold for your iniquities, and for your transgressions your mother was sent away. Why was there no man when I came? When I called, why was there none to answer? Is my hand so short that it cannot ransom? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, I dry up the sea with my rebuke. I make the rivers a wilderness. Their fish stink for lack of water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness, and I make sackcloth their covering. Okay. Now, remember the points that they've made, the questions that God's people have asked. Why doesn't he love us? Is he just too weak? So he turns those back. Where's the certificate of divorce? By which I sent your mother away. Let's look at what's on the divorce papers. And if you look at the divorce papers, why was it that God divorced them? Yeah, it's what he says at the end of verse, verse 1. It was because of their transgressions. It was not because of a lack of love. It was not because God had forgotten them or neglected them. It was because they sinned. Alright. To, to whom of my creditors did I sell you? You know, did God sell Israel to pay off some debts? You know, he'd gotten, gotten kind of an odd gambling or whatever, and he, he needed to, uh, to sell them off to avoid financial, financial embarrassment. You know, sold them off to, to, to avoid bankruptcy. Is that what the problem was? Is that why he sold them? Why did he sell them? For their iniquities. So, you know, this is a, kind of an example of of the interesting structure of this. I mean, you had in 14 to 16 the idea of God's love. And then you had in 24 to 26 the idea of his power. And so he says, okay, look at the divorce decree. And he says, look at the bill of sale. Why did I sell you? And then he says, well, I sold you. What do you say? Because of your iniquities? Is that right? And I divorced you because of your transgressions. It wasn't a question of no law. He divorced them because of their sin. It wasn't a question of weakness. He didn't sell them to pay off the debt. He sold them because of their iniquities. So he's just showing that the problem isn't love and power. The problem is their sins. That's why God had to apparently abandon them or sell them, or whatever you want to say. Does that make sense? Now, he, said, he asked the question in verse 2, why was there no man when I came? When I called, why was there none to answer? I mean, the problem was, why didn't, why didn't they respond to God? Why hadn't they turned back to God when God called them? When he, when he summoned them. He says, is my hand so short that it cannot ransom, or have I no power to deliver? Wow. What can God do? 
see with his mind. Rather than see with his review. Yeah. Or make the rivers of worldliness. Yes. Or even clothe the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth their covering. There is no lack of power with God. I mean, what can God not do? Do you see that? You know, don't you think God, God just can't protect? He can't deliver. He can do everything. He can do anything. Why couldn't they respond in repentance when he called? It is very clear that the reason for the captivity, the reason for God's punishment, was because of their sins. What do we tend to do in tough times? How often would we tend to blame God and feel sorry for ourselves? I sure shall I God did that. He just doesn't seem to love very much anymore. Or I just don't think God can handle this. No, don't blame God. Don't feel sorry for yourselves. Repent. So often that's what we need. It's amazing. It's amazing to look at people who are suffering very obviously because of their sins. They got drunk and had a wreck. They're laid up in the hospital and they're just really, they can't believe God would do that to them. Or whatever. It's like, what in the world are we thinking? Now, that's a rather obvious situation in which the sin contributed to but, but really, the truth is, God would choose to bless us more if we could handle it. You know, He is loving. He is powerful. The limiting factor is our lack of response to Him. I'll make some questions. Yes? At the same time, the big example is, is Joe, Christ, Paul. Let's go to people who are studying and go to me, and they still get rebuked by other people. And God is still with us in those things. God hasn't divorced us, He hasn't sold us. He's there. He may accompany us through difficulties. As we look back at chapter 41, I'll be with you when you go through these things, or I'll be with you in chapter 43 in the fire. Other comments? Yeah, the New American Standard is you were sold, which may imply that God sold. John? Roger. Anything else? Caleb? I'm so impressed with God's love and God's mercy in these verses. I mean, there's there's no way you can think that God doesn't desire to have a relationship with you. I mean, He's calling to every extent. And, you know, he makes it clear, you know, it's not because my hand's too short, it's not because I don't have the power, it's not because I don't have the love for you, it's just because you won't turn to me. And that's our problem so, so often today, you know, we want to blame God and say, well, you know, God could, God could never forgive me, or God could never heal me of my sin, God, God could never really want a relationship with me, but he does. Amen. Other thoughts? Yeah. I wonder if it's reference to the um, basic illustration a little bit. I guess I think about our lives whenever we reject God's love and mercy. 
Um, you know, our lives do dry up, and we become fish that are just sinking, and that's all we are. That's a good point, no doubt. Other thoughts? Good, good comments. Okay, so that really deals with those objections. And we come back at the end now to look at the work of the servants. This is a rich passage. And one thing that you might consider as we look at this passage and, and the role of the servant is that the servant is a model for us. So fourth or not. can ask And, you know, the answer is, this doesn't sound anything like the nation that we've just been looking at. You know, this servant has his ear open constantly to hear. Whereas, before in verse 2, God called, nobody listened, nobody heard, nobody responded. The nation thought that God didn't love or was weak. But this servant is confident that God, verse 7, will help him and will vindicate him in verse 8 and so forth. The nation had suffered because of their sins, but in verse 5, this servant is not disobedient. And so you start looking at this and you look at, and it just doesn't look anything like the nation that we've just been looking at. This goes back to the picture of the first part of chapter 49. This special servant, not Israel the nation, but Israel the ideal one that fulfills God's purpose for his people. And uh, so, you look at some of the lines of this. You can almost look at this line by line and meditate on it. The Lord God, and, and, and when he says the Lord God, do you notice that? You've got the God in all caps. Do you see that? Now we're used to seeing Lord in all caps. And when we see Lord in all caps, we know what that means, right? That means what? Jehovah or Yahweh. Do you know what it means when you see Lord in ordinary and God in all caps? God means what? Yahweh. 
So, as at being a, 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 a disciple, as the tongue of a disciple, he knows how to sustain the word. With a word, his tongue is prepared to serve because he's, he's listened to the word. Now, he says he awakens me morning by morning. That is, every morning. He awakens me and he awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. Now, what's the difference between listening as a disciple and listening not as a disciple? If you listen to the disciple, what do you do with what he says? You do it. Because you're a disciple. You're a follower. You're a learner. Now, some of us just don't listen to him at all. This servant had a, a daily morning appointment to hear the message of the Lord Jehovah. He, was, he constantly had that attentiveness to God's will, always seeking to attentively and submissively hear what God says. Some of the time, we can't possibly be a disciple because we don't know the book. We don't know what it says. We've got to always be listening for his word. And what did the Lord do in verse 5? Well, the Lord opened my ear, and I was not disobedient. So the Lord opened his ear, and, and he responded. He heeded the message. Because that God does not speak just to hear himself talk. Just for us to admire the beauty of his words. God speaks for us to respond. For us to submit to and obey what he says. And he says that I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. He did not give up. He did not falter or faint. He continued to submit to the word of God. Now look at the Gospel of John for a moment. Because that's exactly the picture of Jesus that you see in the Gospel of John. Some of these passages are just so good. And again, be thinking about how this applies in our life. John chapter 5 and verse 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. John 5, 30. I can do nothing on my own initiative, as I hear I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. 6.38, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. 8.28, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. 12.49, for I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. <clears throat> Everything Jesus said and did was what God told him. His whole purpose was not to do his will, but the Father's will. That is the model for us being a disciple. This is exactly what we should do. We need to have a tongue of a disciple speaking God's words. Because every morning we've listened as a disciple. We've constantly sought to hear the Lord's word. And, and I think there's real value in listening to the Lord in the morning.
setting the direction of our day by hearing the word of God. And, and, and we, we, if we're a disciple, we obey what we hear. And we persevere in that. Jesus was the ideal disciple. And he's the ideal model for us as a disciple. So those, those words in 4 and 5, I think, are just extremely powerful for us in terms of the life we ought to live as a disciple of Christ. Comments and questions on 4 and 5. Tell the same lie. 
You know? And so he finally had to bail them out and incriminate himself in their eyes by testifying under oath that he was the Son of God, essentially. And then he goes before Pilate, and Pilate is so determined to try to release him that Jesus had to just be totally silent most of the time, not defending himself in any way. And on and on you go, as Jesus pulls the strings to allow them to crucify him. You think about how many places and all that Jesus could have avoided that. Even, by, even without being the Son of God, he could have avoided it. You know, he could have just gone somewhere they couldn't find him that night. He knew it was going to happen. You know, I think he could have defended himself before Pilate. Pilate would have let him go. Yeah, he could have just been silent in the Jewish trial. And I'm not sure what in the world they would have done. They were determined to make it look right. And so when they cross-examined the witnesses and couldn't get them to tell the same story, they were really stymied. And, and Jesus, Jesus just gave them a bail. Jesus voluntarily chose to suffer. That is so amazing. And he says in verse 7, For the Lord God helps me, therefore I am not disgraced. Therefore I set my face like flint. I love that statement. Do you know what flint is? Flint's a what? And what's the special characteristic of flint as a rock? Extremely hard. Now, what would a soft rock be? Limestone? Limestone? Is that soft? Sandstone. Sandstone? But flint is hard. If you set your face like flint, what does that say? Determination. Absolute determination. Resolute determination. He will fulfill his task despite the humiliation, despite the opposition, despite the obstacles, no matter what happens, he is going to give himself to God and fulfill God's purpose. We need a whole lot more flint faces. A whole lot more people with determination and resolution. I don't care what happens. I don't care how hard it is. I don't care how sad you are. I don't care how many relationships get destroyed. I don't care how many circumstances are against you. I don't care how depressed you get or whatever. Your face is set like flint and you will fulfill your mission. That is the pattern of the disciple that Jesus was. He went through a lot. You ever feel sorry for yourself? Just look at Jesus. It amazes me how sorry I feel for myself when I go through nothing. Jesus went through everything and he had his face absolutely determined. He is going to fulfill that mission. You know that it had to get pretty excruciating on the cross. And I do believe in the skirt and where they were beating that crown of thorns into his scalp. And man, that would have been a perfect time to call down the leech of the Vegas. There was so much test of Jesus in that. I can't call down legions of angels. There would have been very little trial for me as far as what I was going to do on that. Because I don't have that power at my disposal. But Jesus had to restrain himself every moment from doing the things he could have done as the Son of God to escape that, just like that. But he had his face set like flint. He would endure the humiliation. 
without flinching. Because he knows that God will vindicate verses 8 and 9. He knows that God will be for him. How could Jesus suffer so much? Because he knows God will right the wrongs. He left the vengeance to God and he has confidence and trust that God will vindicate him. So he leaves it to God. Jesus is such a wonderful model of enduring injustice and mistreatment without complaint. We need so much more of that. We are so unwilling to go through anything that's mildly unfair without screaming and crying and yelling bloody murder. And Jesus, silent as a, as a sheep, went to the slaughter. He knew God would take care That is how he could do that. That is how he could suffer without retaliation. And that is exactly what we need to do. He knew that they'll wear out like a garment. The mall will leave there. He knew God would justify him. So, don't worry about it. Let them do anything. Be mistreated any way you want to be. It doesn't make any difference how unjust it is, how unfair it is, how outrageous it is. It's not any more outrageous than it was for him. Maybe when you're suffering it's unfair, but the truth of the matter is, if you were receiving your fair suffering, it would be worse than whatever you're getting right now. And you couldn't say that about Jesus because he'd never sinned. So every bit of suffering he received was absolutely undeserved suffering. He is such an example. Verses 4 through 9 is just, it, it's Jesus and it's, it's who we need to become. Comments and questions? Dustin? You look through um, verse 7, what I find, what I love is uh, the second part of verse 7 where it says, Therefore I am not disgraced. You look at what Jesus went through. Uh, the death on the cross is what they say is the most disgraceful death you could possibly go through. Uh, he says, I am not ashamed. Anyone who would have went through that death just for any crime or something like that, that would have been the most shameful death you could possibly go through. But because the Lord helps him, because the Lord God is with him, um, he, he's not disgraced. He is not ashamed because he knows what he's doing before. It's It's... It's amazing to see, like you said, that face that he had, the face like a rock, the like, uh, face like flint. It's because of the fact that this is the most disgraceful thing you can possibly go through, yet he uses it as a way to praise God, a way to bring more to him. Going along with what you're saying, um, about how he could have called to lead to the angels to come down and rescue him. While he had that power, at the same time, it was described that he willingly made himself lower than the angels. So while he still overseeing that power, being God on earth, he was made lower than the angels to willingly sacrifice himself for us. And that's something that, I don't know, if I had that kind of power, I would easily give it up. Especially for a bunch of people that are going to um, not really want to serve me and constantly reject me. Absolutely. Yeah. Good point. Other thoughts? 
had a mission to Amen. Good point. Good night for Caleb. Well, determination is really good because I think you know, for most of us that's our real struggle is that you know sometimes we sometimes we are fighting for God and sometimes you know we're determined and other times we're not and real determination is something that's a steadfast commitment to the Lord you know, that no matter what happens we're going to keep serving and I think uh, I think we can learn a lot from this and gain a lot from this because we're so often so so controlled by our circumstances instead of our character yeah. Other comments? Yes. Oh. Can really have one. Can, can really. Um, Jesus led a life of focus. Jesus was determined to serve God and to live for God. He, as we read in Isaiah, he um, had the tongue of a disciple and he was focused on God. And I guess for us to be determined to be willing to suffer, we've got to be devoted and I guess prepare ourselves and, and do, I guess that'll help us to do the things that are right if we're really devoted to God. Yeah. And I kind of felt like on Caleb, Caleb said, something that's really encouraging to me is um, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, I believe. He talks about, Paul talks about like, being a faith, being a good runner and a strong soldier. And he talks about like a hardworking farmer. And you know, I guess we can kind of think about how monotonous and how boring and how hard and unpleasurable farming would be at that moment. But I guess this was like being a Christian is that we've got to work hard like a farmer. Determination. Douglas. I think on the determination that
one day event on the day of Jesus' crucifixion. He'd been doing that all his life. Kind of going off what Shane said about you have to be determined more than the one day when it gets around. It's kind of like whenever you're trying to get in shape and build muscles or something, you're not going to do all that in one day. I mean, it's, and it's the same way with spiritual things. You know, you're not going to be strong and determined over one day, and so you can't just say that spontaneously, do that spontaneously. And so, in order to be determined and be strong and trust you have to be strong on the other days too. Amen. Yes. Um, going to talking about the terms of school, I know that there are people who have just all together had it a little rough their whole life and been determined their whole life, but they don't think it's easy. I mean, to still keep the same determination once makes it easy. That is just the same as if you're in an easy place being determined it gets hard. It's, it's, a, it's a transition in opposite ways, but you still have to keep determined on either end of that. That's true. Amen. Yeah. Very good thoughts, yes. One thing I've been thinking about, I guess, all day when we were talking about who God is and everything He's done, not just for us, but really just His power, and now we're talking about everything Christ has done. Uh, and I was thinking when Caleb said earlier about, I just keep thinking why. Like, why, does he, why would He care for us? I mean, and like Caleb said, it's just about the love that He has. And I think what that should cause us to do is to be immensely and forever humble. And that through that, I think, is where we can get determination. That, I mean, if we humble ourselves daily, and we, which I think is one of the biggest problems I know in my life is maybe, maybe not pride, but just not really always focusing on God and thinking about things I want to do. And so just always being humble and always thinking about why we're, why we have this life and that, you know, we don't, God didn't have to do any of this and Christ and it's just it's just a sad thought to think that he would have done what he did and we would just spit in his face. You're right. Break up. So fortunately we don't even endure past our enemies sometimes. I mean they don't even have anything to back them up and yet they, they continue going on. I like the, the contrast in the periods face like flint here and then they're just like a, a garment made out of fabric that gets eaten up by a little moth. Uh, so just how can we ever be more fragile than than our enemies to be able to bring that thing? Yes. All right, very good. Um, I'm going to take another break here. This will be a shorter one, but we need to one before we uh, break in about an hour. Larry, Larry, you want to leave some break? <coughs> we are looking in chapter 50 at the great servant who is the model disciple. But he concludes this chapter with two verses focused on us. Really focused on two different groups. And I think you're going to see some contrasts between these two groups. So, uh, chapter 50, verses 10 and 11. Who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant, that walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourselves with firebrands, walk in the light of your fire, and among the brands you have set ablaze. This you will have from my hand. You will lie down in torment. 
Very interesting to me, he begins in 10, who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant. Now that's exactly what the ideal servant did. He feared God, and he obeyed the voice of God that he heard each morning. So he's asking, who is like the servant in that? Who is a responsive disciple that trusts in the Lord with determined obedience? Well, he says that walks in darkness and has no light. Would you expect the one who obeys the voice of his servant to walk in darkness with no light? What does that say? I don't think so, although that would be a possibility. Darkness is used for more than one thing in the Bible. We live in a world of darkness. Yes. And I think here the darkness symbolizes the difficult, bleak days of anguish and suffering. The, the kinds of things that the servant himself experienced as, as he gave his back to those who struck him. His cheeks to those who walk out of it. After all, just stop and think about Jesus. Did he have any dark hours? Remember the three where the sun didn't shine? You know, he, he went through darkness where there was no light. You follow the servant. And it's not all fun and games. There are very, there are very difficult things. But, he says, let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. You just trust God, even when you go through the darkness. Even when the sun hides for hours. You keep trusting and rely on God. Don't think that the life of a follower of the servant is a picnic. It is not his life wasn't, why would ours be? Don't be shocked when it's really hard to serve God. When there's all kinds of opposition. When it just isn't as easy as I thought it was going to be. That's what he experienced. Jesus is the model of discipleship. And his experiences are the norm of, of what we'll go through as disciples. The difficulties are not signs of having missed the will of the Lord. The difficulties are an intrinsic part of the life of an obedient disciple. If you are faithful to God, look for darkness. Just rely on the Lord through those times. Now look at the other side. Because you kind of need that to get this full picture. 11. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourselves with firebrands, walk in the light of your fire, and among the brands you have set ablaze. Now, these guys have a little different environment. Darkness in their corner of the world? That was a question. <laughs> No, why not? Yes, they, they have a do-it-yourself approach to uh, lighting their path. 
They provide their life by doing what? They, they light a fire. You know, fire produces light. And, and so they're trying to equip themselves out of their own resources to deal with life's dark experiences. These guys don't have the darkness that the group in verse 10 had. Because they lit their own fire. Is that going to be a good thing? Well, this you will have from my hand. You will lie down in torment. Now maybe the idea is that they're going to be lit on fire by their own fire and consumed. You know, don't play with fire. It might turn out to be unquenchable. And, uh, but at any rate, God will condemn. He will destroy those who try to deal with life's darkness with their own fire instead of relying on Him. We've got two choices. Life is dark. Life is dark for everybody. And some people will walk through the darkness with their hand in the Lord's and just follow what He says and trust Him. And other people will say, I can't deal with the darkness. And they'll make a fire. And they'll walk in light. And they'll be consumed and lie down in torment. But that's man, those are those two verses to me summarize the difference between a disciple and one who's not. Comments and questions. Well, then my pet peeve, we need to study. Everything in the Bible. Is there a better chapter in the Bible, hardly, than Isaiah 50? It's only 11 verses. But I was hearing the breaks, and people say, I didn't know I was in there. And I did for a long time myself. Wow. We're missing all this stuff when we don't study it. It's good. This is as good a chapter as there is anywhere. Really powerful. Not that difficult to grasp either. This is pretty accessible. And really practical. So, that's, that's my answer.